1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide. Faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You that Your Word is true, reliable, steadfast, and will always come to pass and do what You want it to do. So I ask You to speak Your Word to us today. Remind us who You are, who we are, and what Your intent is for us as individuals, as a church, and Heavenly Father, how that becomes one all in You. And I ask that these words, Heavenly Father, be glorifying unto You, no matter the message, Heavenly Father, be spoken is Yours. And I thank You for that. In the name of Jesus, Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> the love chapter, very popular at weddings, talks about how a mature love looks. I remember in college, when I was at a Bible study, uh, our Religious Life Association Association had about eight of us there that day, and they were doing this chapter. And uh, I began to, um, I wasn't leading it, uh, a young lady was, and I began to uh, expound a little on what I thought. And by the end of the Bible study, the lady came up to me afterward and said, you have deep insight that I did not know about this chapter. And I said, I was just thinking what I saw there. And she said, you're in the right field. And the reason I say that is because what I said was, put the word Christ in place of love. If I do not have Christ, I'm nothing. For Christ suffers long and is kind. And that's what we looked at that day. And if you want to resemble Christ, then this chapter will tell you what that looks like. But there's something in here that at first glance, it seems logical. But at second glance, there's a deeper level to it. And it's verse number 11, where it says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Obviously, when we look back over our lives, our toys change. 
One year, if you remember this, Sears used to have the Christmas wish book. And one year, when I was about seven or eight, maybe nine, I went and I circled all the gifts I wanted from age nine to 30. And I put what year of my life I wanted those things. I imagine if I were to look back at the things I wanted for myself when I thought I would be 30, they would be things that a nine-year-old would want, not a 30-year-old. Because I didn't put anything in there that was adult. It was all toys. Boleramas and, you know, ice skates and things like that is what I was into. And so all those things are the things that as a child I thought I would want. And so all these wishes I put age 19, age 20, this is it, Dad. You know, Christmas, this is my list. Of the things on that list, from age 9 through 30, I got none of them. It's interesting, isn't it? Because truly, what I thought I wanted at that time wasn't really what I wanted. It's what I thought I wanted. And uh, the things that I actually received each year were more appropriate for my age level and maturity. So thank you, Heavenly Father, that my parents knew as a child, I did not think as a parent would concerning a child, but rather is what I want. You know, isn't it interesting though, that the greatest things and blessings we have as children, as adults, we see now that those can be so innocent. Can't they? reason I say that is one of my favorite passages is in the Gospel of Mark where Peter uh, is rebuking and the other disciples are rebuking children for coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, let them come. Let them come. And He wraps His arms around them and blesses them. And He looks at His disciples and says, unless you come to Me as one of these children, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. For whoever would be come to the kingdom and to the Heavenly Father would be like a child. And we make all sorts of inferences on what that means and what that's all about. But this morning I want to challenge you that it is that God is who He says He is. He's trustable and you come to Him. Listen, the children were coming to Jesus. Why would you stop that? Why would we stop ourselves or anyone else from coming to Jesus? This is my question for you this morning. Why would we prevent that? Would we not rather encourage that as a church and as individuals? To encourage people to come to Jesus. I would think so. And so, the innocence of a child is, I'm going to Jesus because He said He loves me, and He cares for me, and He made me, and I trust Him. There's no reason for a child to doubt that. But as adults, we question all the time, does God love me? Can He really use me? Did He make me the way He wanted? The answer to all those questions is yes. Yes and yes. He made you, He loves you, and He can use you. For His kingdom, for His purposes, when you come to Him, like a child would, trusting that He can do it. However, as we grow older, We put away childish things. The problem is, is we also lose our childish ability to have faith without question that Jesus is who He said He is. And we lose that part, the part we should keep. And that saddens me for us. But it's true. And so to rekindle that spark this morning and to 
Bring that joy of knowing that you are loved completely by someone who knows you intimately. And when you look in the mirror and you say, I don't know if I like this or not, God, did you make a mistake? He looks and says, no, you turned out the way I planned. One of the songs I wrote a long time ago had this line in it. Tell me I am the way you wanted me to be when you thought to make me. Is it not a question you sometimes ask? God, did you make it right? Did you do me right? Or did something mess up? You turned out the way God planned you to be. With the parents, the family, the upbringing, the way you look, the height, the weight, the eye color, the hair color, all that personality, God put that in you. He carefully carved you, says Psalm 139, and fashioned you while you were in your mother's womb. He had the raw materials and made you that way. We question God on whether or not He did that with intent when everything else in the universe we know and can see clearly was a mastermind behind it. <laughs> and yet we question God for some reason on ourselves. But oh no, you, you, God made you just right. Me, I don't know. Do you understand the difference there? I want to share with you that because we have become a society that looks inward before it looks outward. How does this help me? What does this do for me? How is this going to benefit me? Why, why should I do this? We ask all those questions and from an early age onward, we're taught to have our own agenda for our lives rather than God's. It's subtle at first. It's subtle you know, we, we say to children all the time, uh, be seen and not heard. In other words, if you have a personality, don't show it. But have your own agenda, but don't be an individual. We tell them to be creative, but not when it's disturbing others. And sometimes we shut down creativity. And all those things that a child is precious about that we wish would have stayed in us is stripped away by this world. And here's the thing that Paul says in verse 11. Don't miss this. He said, When I was a child, I spoke and understood like a child. And I thought like a child. However, the connection and the trust of a child in Jesus, he never said that he should lose that. He said, I should grow in what? My speech, my wisdom or understanding. And my thinking, those things need to change. Not my heart of love and trust of Jesus and people who care for me. And not to question it, whether they love me, because a child just accepts that the people love them. They don't go, I wonder if mommy loves me. Putting a spoon in my mouth, I wonder if mommy loves me. They don't think that. They think, that's mommy. That's all that matters to them. That's their world for a long time. And they don't question it. Matter of fact, when children are hurt at a young age, they think it's their fault, not the parents' fault. That they've done something wrong and they internalize that. But that's how a child thinks. But as we become older, we begin to speak differently. For some of us, uh, Keith can confirm this, that the school bus is not always a good place for learning new words or new speech patterns <laughs> or how to relate. However, that is true that a child will speak what its peers speak like. 
and learn from their peers rather than from their parents and their church after a period of time because they want the approval of peers. Is it not true? Peer pressure is one of the most difficult things for folks, even as adults. A lot of times, peer pressure is very difficult. So I say, a child will speak as their peers, and sometimes as adults, we do too. And our thinking, our understanding, our wisdom as a child is pretty much black and white. It's this way, or it's that way. There's not a lot of gray, abstract thought in a child, but as it matures and grows older, it can see other people's perspectives, other personalities and things like that. And as we grow older, we understand not everybody's the same as us. I had the same as me mentality for years. I thought everybody was raised the same way I was. They just went to a different church. Did you know that not every kid in my school went to church three times a week? Did you know that? I didn't. I just thought they went to a different one. I thought everybody went to church as a kid because I did. I thought everybody had older sisters because I did. When someone said, I don't have an older sister or an older brother, I'd say, that's weird. If they'd say, I have an older brother, I'd say, what's that like? I've never experienced that. But that's how I was raised and that's how I thought. But as a child, that knowledge and understanding had to change, didn't it? It would have been kind of crazy if I thought everybody here lives the same way I do and thinks the same way I think and believes the same way I do. That would be a very, very strange Sunday service. Because I would be talking to you like I'm talking to myself rather than to each of us. So my thinking has to grow as yours does from a child and the way we understand the world changes as well. It says when, when we become adults or a man, we put away childish things. We have not been taught how to put them all away. Oh, we think we've been taught how. My mother used to say this. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Now, that was appropriate for me as a child because I used to blurt out whatever was on my mind. But would it be appropriate for me as an adult to not say anything cruel, but rather say something supportive, encouraging, and uplifting. Would it be better for me to be mean or to be encouraging? What part of this is still a good idea? Most of it, wouldn't you say? There's enough people discouraging and hurting people and being unkind that if they didn't say anything nice um, and didn't say anything, if they had nothing nice to say, would be silent most of their days. Most people have a very pessimistic outlook like that when they speak with a lot of negativity. They don't think there's a, a good presence, past or future possible. And they see things negatively. And uh, I don't know about you, but I do know this, that we need people in our corner who lift us up and support us regardless. We need that. We need people who we know we can go to who, who will, will speak to us with truth and honesty and in love and help us to see the truth consistently. Why? Could you imagine going through this world without that? Being in a dark place and someone saying, well, it's alright, you'll be okay, and knowing it won't be. 
and yet they say the same. There's times in our lives when we just need to hear a hard truth. Hey, if you keep doing that, you're going to mess your life up, my friend. Sometimes we need to hear, hang in there, just another day. I'm with you. I'll be here. Did you know, one of the most powerful things that a person can share with someone who's going into surgery is, I'll be here when you wake up. I'll be here when it's over. I'll still be here when everybody else is gone. We need to know someone stands with us. And in this world, we've learned most don't know how. Why? I don't know. Other than to say that we're self-focused. Self-run. And our agendas have become our own rather than God's. So this morning, I want to share some things with you about what I believe our task as individuals and as a church is where we put away childish things and keep the childlike things and do the work of the gospel. Now, it's quite simple. The name of this sermon is Love Is. First of all, you have to believe this to be able to do this, that God exists, that God is love, that He loves everyone equally and desires all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to be with Him in eternity. You have to believe that for anything else I say to have relevance for you this morning. Because if you don't believe that God is love, then you're not going to be able to share a God of love with people because you don't believe He is. So, if you believe God is love, then you understand that love is. God is. And love makes all the difference in the world, especially at the right time, in the right moments. So there are some things that we do as we begin to mature in love. And some of these things are not always easy. And some of these things we do regularly and we don't need to anymore. And and I'm hoping that this will help us to understand how to be stone rollers, which I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and how to fulfill the mission of this church. As God has called us to rise up this year and to continue to do so and church up, I understand that church up is to love. Quite simply, to love. To love with the love of God. This past week, on Tuesday, I went to the clergy meeting for our district and we had to talk about our charge conference forms. Our charge conference is a week from tomorrow. Very important charge conference in the life of our church because the vision and the mission statements that they wanted us to have needed to be realistic. There were some churches that put on there, we're going to do the same thing we did last year. We're going to continue to do what we're already doing. Isn't what the question asked, but it asked, what are you going to do? Not, what have you done? What are you going to do? Some other churches put, we're going to spread the life and love of Christ everywhere we go. And what our district superintendent said, which was so logical, is your goal needs to be smart. Smart goals are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and... uh, I forgot the T. Transparent, I think, is it. But definitely transforming. That they have a accessible, realistic, but they got to be measurable. So, we're going to measure loving Jesus. How do you do that? How do you measure that? What are you going to do to show that you love Jesus? And and the churches didn't have that answer. 
So while he was doing that, I had our paperwork there ready to turn in, and I pulled ours out. How do you think we did? <coughs> we had some goals, and some of them measurable, some not. And so I'm going to put some weight behind the mission of this church with this message this morning. And, and I'm going to share with you that the goal that this church specifically has is to reach this community for Jesus Christ creatively in as many ways as possible. That's the mission statement on the front, now on the inside of the bulletin. Been there. But it doesn't say how. Well, here's the first way. We have to lose our own agenda. When you become an adult and you become a mature Christian, you lose your agenda. And that doesn't mean, oh no, I've got to delete my calendar and cross that all up. That's your schedule. Your agenda is why you do what you do. It's the thinking behind it. Your agenda that guides why you are doing what you're doing. Your motivation, if you will. And most of us have a personal agenda in every relationship we have that we operate out of rather than a godly agenda. Let me share with you how this works. Suppose you see a friend on the street and you see them and they're saying, hey, how would you like to go out and get something to eat? And you say, great, let's do it. If you have a little extra, you might offer to pay for their lunch. That's what you do with a friend. That's your agenda. You're my friend, we do this. And your friend will do that back to you some other time. Now, if you're walking down the street and you see someone who you don't know, and they say, hey, I'm a little hungry, and you go, well, that's nice. All of a sudden, our agenda is, I don't know you. I love my friend, but I don't know you, so I'm not going to take you and buy you lunch because I don't know you. Our agenda has switched because it's our agenda. But if it's God's agenda within us, we love and bless all who God puts in our path as we are able not as we want to, but as we're able to. Because you never know who God places in your path for you to be the one to bless and love with the love of Christ. But what if the person you see is someone you don't get along with? I don't get along with them. I'm not going to ask them to lunch. Well, why not? Hey, I want to go out to lunch with you and let's talk about some of our differences. And I'm going to buy you lunch to show us good faith. What? I'm not going to do that. I don't like them. Why would I do that? Your agenda. Why would I? The question is, why wouldn't Jesus do that? He would. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. The outcasts. The people nobody else wanted their agenda to interfere with. You understand that? Our agenda runs us. And it's, well, here's a person who uh, talks different, smells different, dresses poorly, or whatever. And we go, well, you know, you need to clean up your language and talk different and act different and dress different, you know, so you'll be a good, good citizen of our country and not disrespect our country. And, you know, that's just wrong. And we get all motivated by that. And that's our agenda again. Because if God's put someone in your path that doesn't have something nice to wear, doesn't smell well, or talks funny, maybe it's because no one's loved them good. Or loved them well enough for them to love themselves. And maybe that's your turn. Oh, but you know, I don't want to. It's, that's your agenda. I don't want to. God, what do you want me to do? 
Love first. Ask questions later. Get rid of your agenda and love first. Love speaks volumes. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, Love covers all sin. And and when I first read that over the years, I've always thought, well, Calvary's love and love covers all sin. But listen, it's the truth. This is a simple, simple way to understand this, all right? I think I've shared this story. It's real short, but it's, it's very poignant for this truth. We have a dog, a cat, a rabbit, some fish, and some other critters that we don't like in the house that we try to pesticide out. And my responsibility basically is feed the rabbit and empty the cat box. I protest every time I have to empty that cat box. I hate it. But, get this. I go down to the rabbit and I see him and he's so cute and cuddly and I say, your box is kind of rough. I'm going to clean that out for you. I like the rabbit. So I clean out his box. And, and, and it's just an act of love, right? Love motivates, right? But that rabbit, sometimes he's got these claws and he'll scratch me. Right? And, but it's okay. Because I like him. I love my rabbit, right? Now the cat. The cat annoys me. He sheds all over me. And, and everything about the cat, I don't like it. And then I got to take care of his cat box. Do you understand the agenda there? Love covers all sin means if you love somebody, you're not going to see their bad parts as unworthy in them. Get this. I'm going to go to 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. You're going to hate me after this, but it's still the truth. It's the Bible. I'm just going to read it. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins, so be hospitable to one another and do not grumble while you do so. Wait a minute. So what you're saying, God, is that if I don't love, I do things unhappily. But if I love, it covers over the sin or the problems in the relationship. And so I begin to remain in it and invest. Yes! God invested in you when you were not worthy. At the cross, He loved you and covered a multitude of sin. Why can't you do that for someone you don't like? I'm trying to like the cat so I can do the cat box happily, but it's still difficult because I don't like the cat yet. But that's just a pet. Now imagine that as as an immature response and now I'm with adults or other people. And I don't like that person. Why would I want to help them when they are you like them? Why would I want to be nice to them when I don't even care what they, they, they do to me? That's agenda. That's our mindsets. That's how we think. And God is challenging us to lose our mindsets and replace them with His, which is love first. Ask questions and think about it later. First thing out of your mouth, out of your mind. God, what do you want me to do? Why is this person here? Have you presented this situation for me to bless? Why am I here? What can I say today to build up, lift up, and encourage? Because if I can't lift up and encourage, this person's heard enough, I'm sure, of people similar to me who have put them down. I don't need to be the next. 
And in the name of Jesus Christ, I lose my witness if I condemn someone who's already been condemned by other believers. Oh yeah, other believers will condemn people. We will. We'll judge them and think we got room to do so when we have none. Jesus even says, judge not, lest you be judged. I don't want to be judged. I just want to be loved and encouraged and supported because the world's hard enough as it is. And what do you think the world around us in our community and the folks who've given up on church think? They judge me. They're hypocritical. They say they love us, but they talk bad about us. Love first. Love first. God first. Not anything else first. Love first. Love is, so use it. Let it be your guide. In 1 John, just to bring this home a little closer to our sensitivities, he's talking about love again. And he says this in verse 20. If someone says, I love God, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and hates his brother, he's a liar. You do not love God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The love of God transforms you if it has become real to you. Last week I talked about that transformation that happened in me when I felt a freedom I thought I already knew. That transformation is for all of us. It's for every individual. So the agenda that we lose is that we don't have to love certain people. The thing is, is we love. We don't see certain people. We see all people. Even the United Methodist Church in our conference says, see all the people. And how profound is that that we don't all the time? I say that to our discredit. So we have to change the way we think, don't we, as a church. And this is what I believe our task is for this new season in our church, and that is to love first. That's how you church up. In Revelations it says, I have one thing against you, you've left your first love. Come back to me. Come back to me. Why? Because if the love of God is within you, it wants to go out. Love of God is a verb. It moves through you and and it expresses itself. If you've ever seen someone who's a brand new believer, they just want to love everybody. I could change the whole world for Jesus. I love everybody. Why would we want to lose that desire ever to want to believe that we can make a difference with everybody we meet? That we can be the one person who they were waiting for to say God loves you. To invite them one more time to movie night or the revival or the church. Or to have fun at fall festival and get them loved on so they feel like church is a safe place again. Why don't we do that? Agenda. You got it. Yours. Get rid of it today for God. And take His agenda. A new mind. Romans 12.1 says that you will be able to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 12.1 and 2 says that. The renewing of your mind. That means your, your thought process got to change. Paul says, when you grow up in Christ, you mature 
You don't think as a child. Here's how this works. You ready? I saw this in my own self the other day and I went, oh Lord, forgive me. And I'm pretty sure we all operate some fashion of this. And I'm just going to pull it back to the daily experience I have of the school bus and then tell you how I use the same logic. Alright, there's a kid. And uh, he and some other kids are into it all the time. And I said, tell you what, I'll move you up front. That way you won't be around that mess. And he goes, well, you move them. It's not fair that you move me. Move them. I don't want to lose my seat because they are the ones who are my problem. And I said, do you want to be safe or not? It's not about fair. And he looked at me and said, you're, not, you're unreasonable. And I said, then you need to learn to get along with people. And you need to make your enemies your friends, don't you? And so, I found myself a few days later at home. And I'm thinking, i got to do the cat box. It ain't fair. It's not fair. I'm going to make a bargain with my wife. I'll do the rabbit box. You just do the cat box. And I'll scrub my shoes with toothbrushes. I don't care. Just do the cat box. Because it's not fair. Now, you, you think that's kind of funny, but this is my thinking, and I'm upset, right? I'm upset. My wife says, we already had the agreement, remember? I'm going, yeah, we had the agreement. You're going to do the cat box now. She says, no, we never said that. And I said, but it's not fair. She says, hmm, do you want to cook dinner? Do the laundry? Uh, I'll do the cat box. And I'm going, well, that's not fair either. Now you're not fighting fair. You understand? We use this fair thing all the time in church. It's not fair that you're blessing them. It's not fair that they go first. It's not fair that I go last. It's not fair we help them and not them. It's not fair. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God is concerned with fair. He's concerned with love. That young boy who was feeling threatened by those students, and I said, I will move you up here and keep you safe. So this is a safe bus for you. All of a sudden, didn't want a safe bus. He wanted to control those other people. His agenda was exposed with the truth. We start talking about fair, right, and wrong. We're talking about agenda again, rather than love. Who's not coming? Who is coming? It's not fair that they get to go and I don't get to. Or, you know, they're not showing up. Why do I have to? All these different things and we don't even understand. It's not about that. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ, not someone else. Our church is to glorify Jesus, not ourselves or someone else or the community. It's to glorify Him. And we sometimes lose sight of that. So, love first. Or you could say it this way. First, love. What about second? Go back to first. Rule one, love others. What's the second rule Jesus gave? Love others. One commandment Jesus gave that you would love one another as I have loved you. Jesus did not judge or condemn them. He fed communion first to Judas. And He knew Judas was going to betray Him. He still fed communion. Why would he do that? That's not right. The man's going to destroy his life and betray him, and that's against God's own son. That man should be hung and cast into hell, not given communion. But Jesus loved him. 
He loved him even when the man hung himself and sent himself into perdition. Jesus still loved him. Do you understand our agenda stops us from loving and we justify it? That breaks God's heart. And it breaks mine too. As a church, we love first and we first love and then we love. And if we don't know how to do that, we've got to learn. Because there's so many people who have no idea in this world what that is because they've got a false idea. And we're the only one who knows what that is when we belong to Jesus. Nobody else gets that. So when you're a child, go ahead and be a child. But when you're an adult, put the stuff away. If we only see partly now, love. But the greatest thing you can do is love. That's what the love chapter is all about. The gift. It talks about the gift. The greatest and best gift. But here's what Paul says about this chapter. Right before it starts. Love is a way. It's an excellent way. It's not a gift. It's a way to live. And you're constrained by it. Or you're destroyed by it. But one or the other is true for you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I know without question that I don't love as well as you asked me to. And I know this church has had ups and downs and individually we've done well and individually we've broken trust. And yet, Heavenly Father, you love us. You're not judging us. You're just saying... I'm going to call you to a higher standard because I am your God and you are my people. And you're called by my name. So Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would in this place at this time call us to a higher place in your Son and remind us that love is that we love first and we first love. Because Heavenly Father, you are our first love. And truly, truly, with no other gods before you and nothing else before you, you are our only love. And in that love constrains us, compels us, and drives us to love others because you love us. There's no fear because we're not going to lose your love. We're not going to lose who you are. We're only going to find ourselves in you. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning, as we as a church have gathered, I ask that you would help us to grab a hold of the truth. And the vision for us would be simply to love beyond all measure. This is my prayer. Amen.